I feel as though parts of me are still recovering from uh, last weekend with Archbishop Shakur, who was just such a breath of life to so many of us, and then the great discussion that we had about the Middle East on Wednesday evening, which will continue this coming Wednesday evening from another perspective, the Israeli perspective. His appearance and that discussion made clearer to me more and more that religion doesn't count for much in the sense that all the man-made things that we think are so important probably are not. But religion in the sense of what we think about God and who God is matters incredibly because it ends us in very different places. We want to talk about that this next month. What, what do we really believe about things Things that we have heard so often, they lose their value. So sometimes, like Shakur, a voice from the outside really helps us. I'd like to bring you into a conversation by a noted theologian, Bono. For those of you who don't know, Bono is the lead singer in the most famous rock group of the 20th and 21st century. An international rock star on a bunch of levels. He agrees to do an interview with a friend of his, Olivier Assayas. They knew each other back before they were anybody. And they had been drinking buddies in school. And he was there when Bono started this band. So they do this long interview that had a a great, many fascinating insights. And uh, Assayas, right in the middle, says, Man, what happened to you? With the implication of, man, what happened to you? You used to be so fun, and you're not anymore. What happened to you? And Bono responds, well, I started to figure out the difference between karma and grace. Asias goes, karma or grace, that doesn't make anything clear for me. And Bono says, you see, at the center of all religions is karma. That is, what you put in comes back out. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In physics, the physical laws that say for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. It's clear to me karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it, Bono says. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to overturn all that what you reap, you sow. I believe what you reap, you sow. But grace, grace defies logic. If you like, love interrupts logic. It interrupts the consequences of actions, which in my case, says Bono, which in my case is very good news because I've done a lot of really bad stuff. Asias goes, I really want to do a lot more questions about that really bad stuff you've been doing. (laughs) Because that'll make the interview go. Bono says, that's between me and God. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to be my final judge. I'd be in deep doo-doo. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins to the cross because I know who I am. And I hope, I I hope, I hope I don't have to depend on my religion. Asias, a Frenchman, a skeptic, says... The Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, huh? I wish I could believe that. 
Bono. But I love the idea of the sacrificial lamb. I love the idea that God says, look, you Cretans, there are results to the way we are, to our selfishness, and that, that mortality is woven into the very idea of us being sinful. And let's face it, you're not living a very good life, are you? There are consequences to our actions. Bono says the point of the death of Christ is that Christ took on the sins of the world so that what we put out does not come back and our sin does not reap death. That's the point. It should keep us humble. It's nothing that we do that gets us through the gates of heaven. Esaias, to his friend, that's a great idea, no doubt about it. Hope is wonderful, even though this is close to lunacy, in my view. Christ has his rank among the world's great thinkers, but Son of God, isn't that far-fetched? Bono, no, not to me. Look, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, a lot to say along the lines of Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, the other prophets. But actually... Bono says, actually, Christ doesn't allow you to believe that. He doesn't let you off the hook. He says, no, I'm not a teacher. Don't call me a teacher. I'm not a prophet. I am the Messiah. Jesus says, I am God incarnate. And people say, oh, no, no, please, please, just be a prophet. Prophets we can take. You're a little eccentric. We had John the Baptist eating the the honey and the... But don't mention the Messiah word, because you know... Bad things are going to happen. Jesus says, no, no, I know you're expecting me to come back with an army and set you free from these creeps, but actually I am the Messiah. At that point, everybody in the first century starts looking at their shoes. They say, oh my God, he's going to keep saying it. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, a Messiah, or he was a nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. This is Bono talking. This man was like some of the people that strapped themselves to a bomb. He has King of the Jews tattooed on his forehead. He goes to the cross and he says, okay, here we go. Bring on the pain. I can take it. I'm not joking. Bono says the idea that the entire course of civilization for over half the globe could have its fate changed by a nutcase That's far-fetched. If we could only be a little bit more like him, the world would be different. When I look up at the cross, Bono says, what I see up there is all of my doo-doo and everybody else's. So I ask myself a question a lot of people have asked. Who is this man? And was he who he said he was, or was he just a religious nut? And there it is. That's the question. Who is this man? And nobody can talk you into it. And nobody can talk you out of it. From Dr. Bono. That's why what you believe about Jesus matters. Pray with me. Lord, you've been called a lot of things over the years and people have all these wild different ideas of who you are. And in the midst of that, we live our real lives. We live lives of pain and fear and and darkness. And in the dark, 
We wonder where you are. Amen. The story starts this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and without shape, and darkness covered the deep. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the dark. Calling the light day and the darkness, God called night, and there was evening and morning the first day. But then human beings went their own way apart from God, and darkness returned to the earth. Over 200 times the Bible talks about darkness, almost always to show separation from each other or from God. And people start to talk about longing for the light to come back. The prophets talked about it. Isaiah said, on the people living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And they look for the light, but they don't find it. And then it's as if the story starts over. John starts his story just like Genesis. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all. The light shines in the dark. And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I've come into the world as light, so that no one who believes in me would stay in the darkness. I want that light. I say I want to live in the light, but do I really? Do you? Because I'm like a lot of people, I'm afraid of the dark. Well, I'm not so much afraid of the dark as I'm afraid of what's out in the dark. I'm afraid of the darkness out there and I'm afraid of the darkness in here. This is the verdict. Light came into the world. But people loved the dark instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Darkness is a picture of life apart from God. Apart from the direction of God. Apart from his wisdom and love and care, we have decisions to make and we don't know what to do. We're foolish, ignorant, confused. That's darkness. We blunder around and hurt other people. We walk in the dark. We become afraid. We lose hope. Sometimes darkness takes the form of choking off our hearts. Harvard did a study once where they asked students, if the prices were the same, what option would you choose? Option A, you make $50,000 a year, and everybody else makes $25,000 a year. Option A. Option B, you make $100,000 a year, but everybody else makes $200,000 a year. Which option do you think most people that were Harvard's brightest chose? Option A. That's the human heart. A majority of us are willing to take a 50% pay cut in order to feel superior to others. In order to get other people to envy us, we walk in the darkness. This week, I told Laura I'd wait for her for something. 
And then I didn't wait. I got nervous about being late and looking bad, and I went downtown by myself. She sends a text message saying, I'm really disappointed you didn't ask me. And uh, the interesting thing was not that I messed up. It's, it's how I responded to her text message. It was not pretty. And I thought, I thought later, that's lame. Isn't there something I could have said that would have done better? A, a little voice. You know that little voice? That little voice inside me said, you could have said, you know, honey, I was preoccupied and unhearing, uncaring. Please forgive me. And I said to the little voice, okay, okay, but next time talk sooner, would you? I, uh, I play golf every year with my, with my brothers. It's a blood sport. And uh, a couple of years ago, we're, we're playing, and I look over, and my brother is in the rough, and I see him nudge his ball into a better spot. And I am in the middle of the swamp inside of the trees far from the fairway. And I address my ball, and I give it a little nudge. Because he did it. I hit a Titanic shot onto the green, out of the swamp. I walk out into the fairway to strut up to the green, and another brother, another brother turns to me and goes, How'd you hit that ball out of there? I may have snapped back, I didn't move it. My brothers have been watching me talk about God for decades. That same little voice said, You know, you could say, Sorry, I, I did it, I acted like a chicken. And you know what I thought? I got to stop listening to that little voice. It's driving me crazy. (laughs) This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. And yet we hunger for the light, don't we? We hunger. Even when it makes it feel us uncomfortable... The darkness is scary, and we have a sense that the darkness leads to bad places. God said, let there be light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then he turned to the people that were going to follow him and said, I am the light of the world, and you are the light of the world. I don't want to talk about the light of the world, have you feel like the lights have been turned on, but we're running around with our eyes closed. The lights are on, but our eyes are still closed. I I want to believe that the light gets in. So I think when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he offers light for the heart. Light for the heart. The Apostle Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened. Uh, I used to teach that that verse in Matthew where Jesus says, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It was because when Jesus comes, he is so filled with light and so brilliant that when we're turning to him, we get the reflected glory. I said, it's like Jesus is the sun and we're the moon. The moon's got nothing. The moon is dark. But when the sun shines on the moon, it glows. I said, that's like us. Jesus is the sun, we're the moon. In the book of Exodus, Moses climbs to the top of the mountain and asks God for help and begs God 
to come so he'll know that he's real. And God says, you can't see me, but I'll pass by. God passes close by. Moses sees the presence of God and his face shines like the sun, it says. His face shines like the sun. So bright that when he goes back down the mountain, everybody's freaking out, scared of him. So he puts a veil over his face. Because this glow, this holy glow is scaring people. You're the light of the world. But you know what happened? You don't hear this part in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament book of Hebrews, it says, But after a while, the glow faded. And Moses kept on the veil. So people would not see that the glow had faded. I think there's a whole lot of us wearing veils, coming to church, hearing about the light of the world with no light in sight. Nowadays, when I hear Jesus say, I'm the light of the world, and you're the light of the world, I get another image, also from the Apostle Paul. It's uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and us as your servants. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has given us the glory of his light. But he put this light in jars of clay, broken pots, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jesus comes to us as the light of the world, not with superpower, but with grace. So we're never alone. We're never condemned. Jesus is close. He's inside us through his spirit. And, and God's love doesn't shine out through my strength, but through the cracks in my heart. We become the beloved children of God Because God's light is in our heart. Not because we're better. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Get it in your heart. Christ changes our hearts so we're the beloved children. But that's only the beginning. Christ also enlightens our eyes. So that we see the world differently. I love C.S. Lewis. He, He says this. A person can no more diminish the glory of God by refusing to worship God than a lunatic can put out the sun by scribbling the word darkness on the wall of his cell. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And that light changes the way that we look at the world. Once you see Jesus... Things of great value start to lose their hold on you. And for some of us, it's riches. And for some of us, it's youth. And for some of us, it's looks. And for some of us, it's grudges. And the world is obsessed with that. But there is not much light there. The light of Christ changes the plans you have to be successful or good-looking And gives you another agenda. Perhaps for me, most of all, the light of Jesus changes the way that I look at the world in the people that bug me so very, very much.
Because I begin to see those people in the light of Christ. C.S. Lewis again. You have never met a mere human being. They are either someone becoming a person that will look like God or becoming someone who will look like the devil. You've never met a mere human being. Has God changed your eyesight lately? Or do you still live in the shadows? Do you still prefer the dark? Because then you can think badly of other people and not see them the way that Jesus does. If Christ is the light of the world, he gives us light for the heart, light for the eyes. But I got to tell you, Jesus is not going to be satisfied until there is light for the hands. People who believe but don't follow do nothing. They are hiding their light. But people who follow Jesus have light for their hands to do the work of the king. Because you see, now, with those eyes that affect your, I mean, that light that affects your eyes, now you see things that nobody else sees. You're supposed to see that children of God and not enemies, you're supposed to have a vision of the people you see right on your doorstep of what God sees and what could be. And God will give you tasks and hope. Hope for the future instead of despair. We will have eyes to see the lost and the least and the left behind right around us. And Jesus will put his light into your hands. Paul says to the church at Corinth, Now we see but dimly, like through a cracked mirror, through the gloom. But at the end, we will see face to face. And we will see him. And he will see us. Will you and I see the light of the world so that we can be the light of the world? Or we will, will we live in the shadows? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you did not stand far off, that you did not shine that mega flashlight into our eyes so that we became scared of you, but that your light brought life and grace and love to us that you would have us share with others. When you said, I am the light of the world, You told us to come to the light so that the ugly little petty things in our heart, in our eyes, and in our hands would be washed clean by your light. And your glory, your glory would shine through the cracks of our hearts. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, we pray for light. Amen.